Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today the two of us are very excited to be talking to you about a movie that, uh, spoiler alert, we both love. Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. You're a cop. I had your job once. I was good at it. I know. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. The key to the future is finally unearthed. Bring it to me. They know you're here. told you you're special your story isn't over yet there's still a page left You have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddle. Do our buddy Denny? I feel like we've mentioned him so many times on this podcast that oh. we should get some kind of kickback from him, right? <laughs> so it is a 2018 film, as we said, directed by Denny Villeneuve, and it stars Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Anna de Armas, Robin Wright, Jared Leto, and some others. And the synopsis is as such, Officer K, played by Ryan Gosling, a new Blade Runner for the Los Angeles Police Department, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. His discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, Harrison Ford, a former Blade Runner who's been missing for 30 years. That's right. And if you are new to our recordings, we do spoil these movies, so you are forewarned. Let's uh, let's just jump right into it. I mean, I think we certainly haven't made any secret in other recordings about how much both of us like this movie. Um, going a little deeper in the synopsis here. So Blade Runner, of course, Ridley Scott's sci-fi classic, which was set in 2019. 
Um, this is a sequel to that film, including some of the same characters, at least one of the same characters, Rick Deckard. Uh, we are 30 years later in Los Angeles again, following a new Blade Runner as he tries to figure out what the deal is with a potentially replicant born child. So replicants are human robots. They're not made of metal. They're designed. They're organic material, but they're grown in a lab. And then they, they have certain limitations. At the end of the first movie, what we discover is that they resent this, <laughs> some of them. And there's a series of rebellions in, in what uh, their creator was toying with, we discover in this film, was the possibility of having replicants be able to sexually reproduce on their own without needing to be created. In the 30 years since we ended the first film, uh, the world has been threatened by famine. A new guy has bought the intellectual property of uh, Tyrell Corporation that owned the, uh, the technology to produce replicants. And there has also been a global blackout, which destroyed vast amounts of global data, most of it, in fact. So the world looks a lot the same, sounds a lot the same, but uh, there have been a lot of changes over the past 30 years. Um, what do you think of that as a more in-depth setup? Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I've been talking, you jump in. Okay, so my thoughts on this, I would say, um, and this might sound like blasphemy to some, the original Blade Runner is a film that I appreciate more than love. It's before I ever saw the movie, I had the Marvel comics adaptation for some reason as a kid, which I read and read and read as you do when you're a child. And then it was, it was a few years later when I actually saw it. And I always felt this visually stunning, slow, um, kind of strange. And I, I always, and you know, it was that time when for me, when it was like, oh, this is Harrison Ford, you know, Indiana Jones and Han Solo. I, I want to see everything he does. And um, so again, I always appreciated it, I think, more than really, it was never a movie that I really loved. I, I liked it more than loved it. So when this one came along, you know, I was interested in it. But then I saw it in the, in the cinema, in the movie theater, and I was really blown away by it. The... Um, you have, it's Roger Deakins, I believe, is the cinematographer for this, which who worked with Spielberg a lot. And I think I just reading up on this before watching, I think this was his first Oscar. I think he's won another Oscar for, I think maybe he won Oscar for 1917 after this. But it's, it's similar, but somewhat different in the look of it. You, um, you know, you have very much the style of the first film, but then like with the background uh, behind you, we have some blues and purples, you know, kind of kind of working in there that I that I don't think we really had in, in the original film. Um, I really like uh, Ryan Gosling in this role. He, he does a really great job. All the acting performances are excellent. And I think um, when it's this is it's a deliberately paced film I would I guess you know you could say it's not super action-packed but 
for maybe the first half or so, but you get into where he goes and finds Harrison Ford, Deckard, in it's Las Vegas, right? Where he where he goes and it's no longer habitable or it's, you know. They make um, references to a dirty bomb having been detonated there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he finds him and I really like the way they use Harrison Ford. It, it's not just a, a glorified cameo, um, you know, and, and he, uh, you definitely had some times over the years kind of post Star Wars and Indiana Jones that, you felt a bit like Harrison Ford was kind of phoning it in on some of his movies, but he seems very invested in the material here and just, oh, huh? my timer. Um, uh, I'll just talk for a few more seconds here. Maybe we can cut that part out. But um, I really like the way Harrison Ford is used. And then you get into, there's a great uh, scene where they um, kind of the bad guys have Harrison Ford in it's not exactly one of the spinners like the police i don't know what they call the you know the cars they use or whatever but there's just a great fight scene there um so i don't i just feel like there's a lot to love about this this and i i personally you know prefer this to original the original quite a bit i do too uh and and i think we're going to do a series of points as we go uh the overview being that we agree uh, both i mean the blade runner is um a work it's a modern masterpiece of science fiction it changed the game in a number of ways um this one comes along and i think takes a good hard look at the first one and without being blasphemous about super fans maybe maybe analyzes a few ways in which this one might be more entertaining to a modern audience. I think some of the hurdles of the first one was that it was such a thinker in many ways, despite being visually stunning, that people sort of left scratching their heads saying, that looked really cool, but I don't, I missed a lot of what was going on in there, right? I think this one has a bit of that too. It's definitely a detective film and you have to be paying close attention. And I think it benefits from multiple watchings, which, you know, most mainstream movies I think should not have to do, but um, it's all there. And I think that it, it is more successful at being a work of entertainment in addition to being a sequel to the original film. Yeah, I think, uh we i don't it was a few months ago that we did uh legend the another ridley scott film and you know there's um i think that was 85 and and blade runner was 82 so there's a three-year um time span between those and and even though those are very different films they it's not like they seem like all oh, these were two totally different directors that made these there's some there's some overlap to me as far as the feel and again a legend legend is another one of those movies where maybe this is going to sound like i don't like ridley scott which is not the case um but those that's another film that i appreciate more than really enjoy you know what i mean does that make I sense do. i do i think uh just to recap that one a little bit. I mean, I, I think we both admired a lot of what was going on with it. Tim Curry's performance, the design, the creature effects that they did on Tim Curry. 
but the script felt i mean it's i think it was supposed to be written like a fairy tale or a children's book but i thought the script was particularly thin in that mm -hmm. regard and a little um a little talk downy you know um and it just didn't quite work as a film yeah um, it was oddly boring for a movie about an elf and a demon and a, right um yeah no i mean again which is not to bow now that these are just um you know takeaways as you're saying um uh I totally lost my train of thought. That's all right. <laughs> let's, let, let's let's go back to um to Blade Runner for a second because there are a couple of sort of silo topics that I want to pick apart. One of them is the way in which it is both homage and sequel, right? I think it uh, what I one of the things I admire about Villeneuve doing in this is like, okay, here's my assignment. I got to make a sequel to this beloved sci-fi classic, which part of the reason he was probably attracted to the to project. I need to take the same world, needs to feel like the same world. I need to move it forward 30 years, and I need to add in some other big core concepts societally that didn't exist the first one, namely that there was the entire world. For one thing, this whole this whole place feels much less populous than the first one did. Walking around the streets in the first one, the overcrowding was insane, right? He was always, Harrison Ford was always shouldering his way through crowds of people. And in this one, while there's still these sort of canyon walls of housing blocks, and those are crowded on the inside, the, the scene we see in the eating court is much less densely populated. And when you stop and think about it, the, the entire world over the last 30 years was on the brink of collapse, population collapse because of famine. So, you know, th these things aren't just like, oh, by the way, here's what happened. They, they play out in the fabric of the film, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, when we get to Las Vegas, we discover that, you know, there was a, a dirty bomb or something went off there and it was a very radioactively hot place. It's not now, like, but nobody goes there. Like, it's still considered this wasteland. And in a world where overpopulation was such a disaster, like the infrastructure of the city is obviously still there. But our hero finds Harrison Ford, who he's looking for, more or less alone in a city, right? Mm -hmm. So, so things things feel quite a bit different, um, population density wise here, and I think that we allow ourselves a good old noir-esque detective movie again because the second big thing is this data blackout that somehow for seven days the entire world went dark and pretty much all of the data was digital and they have these sort of data crystals that are kind of milky and there's fragments of data on it but there's this great big reset button so a lot of Serial numbers like what? How is this guy still hunting down replicants? Well, there was a big <laughs> wipeout where everything, you know, all the records got wiped, and so now it's just good old fashioned get in the car and go track these people down one by one, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, which is great because the first one is a detective film, and this one gets to be a detective film too. It feels like a sequel movie in that way. Uh, Ryan Gosling is, I think, terrific in the role, um, because 
like Villeneuve and, and probably in concert with his director, uh, he really wanted to tap into this. It's a very understated delivery that he does. I mean, he's got a personality, but like the detectives of old, and I think like Harrison Ford in the first one, he didn't do a lot of blah, blah, blah. You know, he, he just sort of just the facts, ma'am. And, you know, and I think, mm -hmm. I think that that also helps it feel like, um, I keep wanting to say a sister film. It's a sequel, but I think that anchors it in the same reality. And then the soundtrack, of course, with it's not Vangelis this time. You told me, correct? I, I yeah. I mean, I might have been well, wrong with that, but 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 the yeah. soundscape of the world, you know, the chroma, of course, looks the same, but the soundscape of the world and the big sound cues really make it feel like the universe, the world of Blade Runner. I, I kind of wish, I kind of wish that we got to go off world. There's one point where they're heading off world to one of the other, you know, outside of earth and they don't make it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I do think that's probably for the best in this film, but it would have been cool to see what villain yeah. imagination translated to in one of these off world colonies. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I wanted to I wanted to address something that you brought up about uh, Gosling's performance. So, um, you know, this, as we said at the beginning, we liked this. So this film worked on us. It was not much of a success at the box office. This is the original one. So while we were talking here, I looked up the numbers. The first made about um, 40 million worldwide, the box office and was you know, was not considered a hit at the time, but grew in stature over the years and became a, you know, a big, I don't even know if you'd call it a cult film or not at this point. I mean, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's not a cult following has a cult following. It's not the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, it, this was a, you know, it starred Harrison Ford, who was in, you know, kind of in his, his peak in a way and you know Ridley Scott who was a big director and all that kind of stuff but it just didn't it was always viewed as kind of ahead of its time and you know it just didn't find an audience or whatever so um but even with that you are making a sequel to a film that was not particularly successful in the box office um I guess you know assuming that mainstream audiences had caught on to it and it did about 250 million in an era where, you know, it probably cost a couple hundred million dollars to make. And in an era where any, any big budget film that doesn't make a billion dollars is viewed as somewhat of a, you know, of a failure. Um, at, least, but, at least risky. Right? Yeah. I mean, they yeah. think, okay, well, we didn't lose money on that, but are we going to make a third? Is this a franchise? Probably not. Which is what they were hoping for. Uh, and, you know, at the very least, something like this has to, if it's a $200 million budget, it's got to bring in 500 million or something to really be, and it, and it you know, brought in a couple hundred million. But I watched this with my brother-in-law who had not seen it before and, um, you know, was probably kind of in the same ballpark as me as he's a few years younger than us but as far as how he viewed the original Blade Runner is just you know not one of his favorite movies ever but you know he'd watched it and was familiar with it and everything um and he one uh thing he pointed out was and I, I got to thinking like 
I don't know that I've seen a ton of Ryan Gosling films because it, at one time he was kind of a romantic comedy guy. And so I haven't seen, you know, a lot of really kind of, uh, I don't think I had much, you know, I didn't have anything against him, but I didn't have much interest in him prior to Drive. And my brother-in-law brought that up. He was just like, he's just doing the same thing as Drive, right? You know, like 20 minutes into it or so, he's just like, is he just going to be another guy who doesn't talk just like in Drive? And I was like, well, I guess, you know, I guess, I guess there are similarities there. Um, but, you know, that is also, as you said, kind of goes hand in hand with the original film as far as how, um, you know, Harrison Ford played Deckard. And I don't necessarily always think of noir films as being super talky, you know, I don't, well, I mean, I don't know what you certain, think about that. Well, there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, that's right. So the thought I had in defense of Ryan Gosling's acting is first, whether or not he has a lot to say is the script is not the performance. And But second of yeah. all, I think I would strongly recommend that people watch this on as large a screen as possible. Absolutely, yeah. True of many of Villeneuve's films, especially Dune, the bigger budget with scope, big science fiction scope. There is so much detail captured on the screen that if you're watching it on your phone, you're just going to miss. And I think one of the things that allows for an, an actor's performance is an enormous amount of subtlety and internal, you know, in it's feeling something in a very small way and letting that play out on your face without having to telegraph it in the slightest. Um, because one of the things that I appreciate watching and re-watching this movie is the arc that this character, Gosling's character, um, experiences throughout the course of it. He goes from being, um, lackey isn't quite the right term, but it gets to, I mean, he, he's a cog, he does his job, it's exhausting, and, and we get the sense that it's a little um, draining emotionally on him but it is his lot in life and he accepts it. And I mean, he's a hitman. That's, that's what Blade Runners are. And um, he, they're replicants and he understands the deal. It's not that he's a, he has a bleeding heart sympathy per se, but it takes something out of him. And I, at the beginning, that just mostly seems exhausting because nobody wants to be whacked. They fight back. Um, and the movie opens with him uh, facing a particularly <laughs> big opponent. So, Dave Batista. We, yeah, it was Dave a really, Batista. really great scene great to job. open the film. Yeah. Um, as we go through the film, he begins to, he begins to become more human, as it were. He begins to find that this does bother him and that he, he has feelings and cares about his status and whether or not in his own words, he has a soul. And the, that is because he becomes to believe that he may actually have been born instead of made. And that makes an enormous difference in his life, even though his police chief says something that sort of indicates she doesn't necessarily see it in the same way. You've been getting along fine without one, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, what's that? And she said, a soul. So 
we start to see that we create our own realities and our happiness is a function of how we perceive ourselves in the world. And then the other thing that happens in it, he, he has this digital girlfriend that you see pictured in the thing behind me, who is a product, right? It's like Siri, but three-dimensional. And it's an AI that lives in your house. And later he buys a widget that allows her to come around with him in his pocket, but she's purely virtual. She's a hologram. And he falls in love with her, of course, through the, the course of this. And as, as she learns and learns him, and of course you'd say she's programmed to do this, but she falls in love with him. And there is a decision point at which she says, I want you to disconnect me from the thing for, for, for your own protection and, and put me just in this pen thing in your pocket so they won't be able to download all my memories. And it's a, it's, it's a virtual thing making a selfless act because it, I'll say, quote unquote, loves its owner slash boyfriend. I mean, you know, she, and she wants to give him a name. And, and as we go through the movie, people, predominantly another replicant called Love, who works for the bad guy, uh, sneers at this. And there's a prostitute that sort of sneers, oh, you don't like real girls, right? Uh, but it's the most human relationship he has in the film is with this, is with, I'll say person, with a person that is even less real than he is, mm -hmm. right? And, and uh, what I love, love, love most about this film is how we see layers. The first one wrestled with, well, you know, if it's a human being and you can't tell the difference without doing some sort of an elaborate Turing-like test on it, right? It's, they're not even robots. Like, oh, well, if a robot can, can convince you it's human, this is the Turing test. What's to say it's not alive or human or sentient? Well, in, in Blade Runner, the first one, the robots are effectively human they're better stronger faster and they have a built-in expiration date and they weren't born they were made but you wouldn't know it walking down the street they are they've got dna they're people right and in this one we add another layer to it so we have a new breed of replicant that doesn't run doesn't try and protect its own life of which ryan gosling is one we have the older the Nexus 8s that have open-ended lifestyles of which Dave Bautista is one. So a, an older uh, first movie era replicant. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Joy, who is a absolutely virtual person, right? And then we've got human beings. And I'm leaving out the strata of wealth in the human community. I mean, there's the guy in the company who lives up at the top of the tower and is lives an entirely different lifestyle than even somebody who works for his corporation who is a lickspittal but clearly has it better than the cops who the ones that we see are just incredibly racist against the skinners or the skin jobs as they call mm -hmm. them. And then there's this sort of other people that live in the housing unit with the cops and with uh, you know, Ryan Gosling's character who just seemed to be absolutely uh, poverty stricken and, you know, hand yeah. to mouth in this nightmare of a future for them. I mean, the future looks great if you're Tyrell. <laughs> it doesn't look so good if you're one of these people that live in the housing blocks. So this movie, in addition to being visually sumptuous, really 
expands on this idea of what it is to be human and the exploration of that. And the character, Ryan Gosling's character, is the focal point of, there are several different arcs of that happening in the film, but I think his consolidates it most clearly. And that includes Deckard's character, played by Harrison Ford. Yeah. Who at the end is brought face to face with a recreation of his his beloved Rachel. Rachel, yeah. You know, and that's a CGI thing. I think they do. I think they give a body double basically for her, and then they do a little CGI to touch up the face. Right? Was that is that what you? Yes. Yeah, that was my understanding of how they did it because they didn't bring um, uh, um, Sean Young. Yeah. For this one. Um, Anyway, uh, that was long and rambling, but just you, you initially had said that your, you know, your brother thought, oh, he's just doing what he normally does. And I think at first blush, somebody who's not paying really close attention slash not seeing it on a big screen might miss a lot of the subtlety of what's going on. And to be fair, I have seen it several, several times. Mm -hmm. I have come to appreciate Gosling's performance more almost each time I see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I thought he was great. And my first, so this was the second time I had seen it. The first time was in the theater, you know, I was absolutely blown away, you know, particularly visually. And as you said, on a, on a huge screen, it's, you know, it's incredible. We were watching it on like 55 inch TV. And I did notice this time, um, you know, previously I was just like, wow, I don't know how they, you know the obviously a lot of it has to be cg but i was just like i don't know how they because everything just seems photorealistic and we talked about this with the um the dune the new dune film that denny villeneuve did uh the only thing this time rachel when i saw it initially in the theater i was just like wow this is incredible they have yeah yeah they progressed so well and you know even i mean this was a few years before uh, Luke Skywalker and the Mandalorian um, and the book of Boba Fett. And, uh, and, you know, that doesn't look as good, did not look as good to me on screen in the, in the cinema uh, as Rachel did this time uh, watching it on a home television, you know, on a television, I, I could see the seams a little bit more with, with Rachel. It still looks very, very good, but, but, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem quite as amazing to me as before. Everything else still looked, looked yeah. great to me. But I wanted to talk about um, the Joy character. Uh, and, it, you know, it's not even necessarily that this is the focus of, of the film. But as you said, you know, they're presenting a different type of a person or humanity or, or whatever you want to say. And there were questions that I had that the film doesn't answer. Um, one, you said, so with the, the prostitute who says you don't like real girls, she was a replicant too, right? Yes. She wasn't actually human. Um, and I wondered why he had this AI instead of a replicant. I wonder if it was just cheaper or did you think about that at all? Like why he did not have an actual versus going out and versus going out and finding a replicant girlfriend or even you know could you just buy a companion oh, you know question 
That's a good question. Um, I and I just wondered if it was just this didn't own replicants. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I just I mean maybe there are laws about that or something. I don't know, but I just thought I just kind of wondered if um, you know this just was cheaper. And and I also wondered about you know you have the real police officers who who like you said are racist or whatever you would say against him, and you know the the um and I don't know if the first I don't you know it's been quite a while since I've watched the original but uh the replicants are paid right the Blade Runners you know they're paid they have to pay for their apartment or whatever. But do they make the same money that a human police officer makes? Or, you know, there's a lot of things that I was just thinking almost, about through the Almost film. certainly not. I, I would I would say almost certainly not. They get yeah. a bonus. But I have some theories, although it's not spelled out in the movie. I have some theories. Is in the beginning, we see uh, in Ryan Gosling's character, I see a real self-loathing that he has um, that is just so old that's just so much a part of him that he doesn't uh act it you know it's not something he's doing it's just there but why own a virtual girlfriend that's just there when he comes home at the end of the day instead of finding a replicant girlfriend well one thing he works crazy hours he's kind of on call all the time he True, yeah. does project the aura of being a consummate loner like he doesn't seem to she joy is his only friend right he's an intensely private personal person and even when other people like his boss uh who i think is excellently played by um robin wright robin wright um comes over and and sort of comes on to him right what happens if i finish this and he's like don't you need to get back to work and it uh it pisses her off you know he's just like no thanks and and love also comes on to him too you know so there's something about this guy there's something special about this guy and, and robin wright's character also said you know i've worked with a lot of your kind but i you know there's something different about you there's something special she doesn't say it quite in that way but she comments on it at another point in the film and I think he thinks I kill replicants. I'm not going to date a replicant, right? And mm -hmm. we are, we, I am, replicants are less than. That's kind of baked into the whole thing. I'm just the janitor that cleans up my own kind. Um, and I think even whether or not he's thought about it, there's a self-loathing in that. So I think maybe it's just the only thing I really deserve is a digital girlfriend, but I'm, I am lonely, but I don't want to admit that I'm lonely. And so I'll buy this thing that lonely people own, which is a friend to come home to, you know, someone mm -hmm. to talk to. And then I don't need to worry about that. I know isn't going to really worry about me. Like if I go out and I don't come back one day, you know, it's not a real commitment. Mm-hmm. It's a thing I own. And that's how it started. And then he ends up falling in love with her. And this scene behind me, in fact, takes place after she has been destroyed, right? He gets the living crap beat out of him by joy and her goon, or by uh, love and her goons and survives. They sort of leave him for dead, but he survives and he's completely bashed up and he's walking through the streets and this joy is an advertisement this isn't his joy this is an advertisement but of course looks exactly the same 
right? It's Joy, same voice, same body, same face. And one of the things Joy says, you, you need a real name, not KD, blah, 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 not your serial number. You know, you need a real name. And she decides that a good name for him would be Joe, right? Right. That's how he introduces him. He adopts it. He introduces himself. Harrison Ford says, what's your name? And he says, Officer Katie. And he's like, that's not a name. That's a serial number. And he says, okay, Joe. And goes with it. Love destroys the, the sort of pen light thing where his, his version of joy lives. And so, and, and he's gone for good. So he has just lost his girlfriend, really. And he's walking, he sees this ad. Mm-hmm. And she says, hey, you look like a good Joe. And there's this great reaction shot of him in existential anguish, you know, and she's larger than life. Mm-hmm. And he's also had an experience where she has hired this prostitute. He's like, I, she's like, I, I, you liked her, I could tell. And she sort of syncs up. So she wants to have the closest thing she can to a real sexual encounter with him. And she hires a, a prostitute to come and sort of have that experience together. So she's his girlfriend who is now dead who's calling him joe and is naked after this maybe the first intimate experience he's ever had in his life we don't know that either and he's in anguish you know and it really lands home well did she call me joe because she loved me or is that she's obviously joy is just programmed calls everyone a a good joe right Mm mm-hmm and we don't get any dialogue to that effect. It's all left to be done on his face and in our imaginations. And yeah. I didn't necessarily get the layers of that the first time I've seen it. I've seen this movie maybe six times all the way through start to finish. I don't know. I, I haven't counted. But anyway, I, I Joy is not the point of the film. But Joy no. is this wonderful other angle at which to explore what is a person and what counts as a person. Oh, there's another scene where he's, he takes joy upstairs after downloading her to this thing for the first time. And she gets to go out in the rain, feel the raindrops. Yes. Yeah. There's a hologram. She's sort of adapting to it, you know, and then she, then her hair appears as wet. Like she's integrating this experience and they have this romantic kiss in the rain that freezes right before her. Cause he gets a call. He gets a call. From the, Thing, the we got news Robin Wright, yeah. So it, yeah, there's so this is not a person, right? She doesn't get to have. She is subject to this technology. She is a digital slave to. I mean, it, I don't know. I, and there's so much about all of that that, like you were talking about, where you know she downloads. She wants to be downloaded into the thing, and all of that. And you know, does she do that because that's what she really wants to do? Or is that she's just programmed to make him happy? You know, how much and you never friend is her programming? And yeah. then she thinks, how much am of me, how much of who I am is my programming? Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he fails. They do baseline tests on replicants in this movie. He fails his after he comes to believe, after he, it is confirmed for him that the memories he has were really lived by someone. And he, of course, assumes that they were lived by him. It turns out they were not lived by him, that he's a decoy. But he begins to believe that he's special and he meets this sort of resistance. And she says, oh, you, you believed it was you. 
Mm-hmm. You did. And he's shattered when, when she, and, and she's very gentle with him. She says, we all wish it was us, you know, but the point is, is that it, it could have been us. It's possible, you know? Oh, so great. Such oh, great yeah. But you can tell for somebody watching it the first time it's pretty dense stuff and it isn't spelled out literally. And for me, you know, watching it, these are all questions that you, you know, you, you don't necessarily get all the answers to all of this, but it's not, for me, at least it's, 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 it's fun to think about those things. And it's not like, oh, this is frustrating because it's not, you know, I'm not given these, these answers, um, you know, because I, I kept thinking watching this, we're a long ways from uh, having the actual replicants. I mean, that seems like that, you know, that's maybe not even in our, the probably, I'd say it's probably likely that we will not live to see something like that. But I think something like joy, I mean, you, you certainly don't, I mean, maybe some people do, I don't know, but you certainly don't feel like Alexa or Siri are people, but I don't know if this ever happens to you, but you will ever, every, I don't know if you know, if you, if you use Alexa or if you just use Siri or what, but like, um, but I know people that do. Yeah. So I have, you know, like a couple of Alexa, uh, things and every once in a while, Alexa will say something, you know, you say her, cause it's a, you know, it's a female voice, but Alexa will say something uh, every once in a while that she hasn't said before. Like just the other day, it was something about, um, I asked about what the weather was going to be today. And, you know, she says it and she's like, I hope you have a great afternoon, Chris. You know, and it's like, and I just kind of laugh because she'd never said that before. And uh, so, you know, you get every once in a while this sort of eerie thing of like, oh, this is getting a little this is getting a little too real, you know? Right. And, and I, I, I think something like joy, we're probably not, you know, I, you, there'd have to be advances and holograms and all that kind of stuff. But as far as just something that would talk to you and you could have actual conversations with in this way that he does, you know, the, the audio part of it, I think that's pretty close, you know? Did you um, the movie her? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we ought to do that movie sometime too. Yeah, I, would, I saw that in the theater and haven't watched it since. It plays with similar ideas of what's real. That's a film about a man. That's a film about a man, a lonely man at the time when they, whoever they are, uh, launch an operating system that is basically a full AI. And, and instead of it being some supercomputer in some place, it's an operating system that you can download or maybe purchase for your you know personal computer and it starts by just organizing everything for you on your computer and being a great personal assistant but it learns exponentially and this is not a dystopian movie this is a movie mm-hmm. that is it, it's more or less a utopian movie right everybody seems yeah. pretty well off it's a pretty right? hopeful yeah in the not too distant future where we seem to have solved some of these big problems facing us this is a neat technological thing and then it kind of Again, it's not a dystopian movie, but I think it goes places you don't expect. Mm-hmm. And the, the the only spoiler I'll say about it is that he falls in love with his operating system, which is voiced by Scarlett Johansson. I think right. great performance on her, purely vocal performance on her part. And it's um, the lead is uh, 
Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, who also yeah, he's great too. So we should yeah. we should talk about that one because that's another one about what is human and what counts and right in plays with affairs of the heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're at about 45 minutes. Um, we can keep talking about this. Did you there was some other stuff you wanted to touch on, or do you want to sort of wrap it up? Uh with this with this film specifically. Yeah. Um you want to do a like a recap? Yeah, yeah. We can go ahead and do a recap. So so what did uh, you know we're both going to recommend this so what do you in conclusion what would you say about yeah, blade runner i mean i i love it love it love it love it give it my highest rating i am a science fiction fan i think if you're a, a science fiction fan especially if you liked the original blade runner and you know anything about it and appreciate what that did to science fiction if you're a fan of denny uh, villeneuve if you're a fan of any of the actors in this because the performances are great um, this is not an action film. It's not a rollicking, you know, roller coaster ride. It's not Transformers. It's a detective story set in a very thorough, very beautifully drawn uh, future. Uh, I think it works as a popcorn movie and a think piece. I mean, obviously, I've talked and talked about all of the different themes in the in the film, and I, you know, and I probably could talk for another hour about it. Um, so, you know. Maybe not if your date hates science fiction, <laughs> but if you want to sit down with a bowl of popcorn, you're going to have a good time with this movie. Watch it on as big a screen as you possibly can. And if you've got a good sound system, hook that up too, because it sounds as good as it looks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's um, for a movie of this budget to say it is a cult film i i think would not be exactly the correct uh description but it it underperformed for whatever it's long you know it's which is you know we've talked about this trend um before but it you would hope that in the same way that the original blade runner you know gained an audience um, that this would do the same. And I, I would imagine that this would, would grow in appreciation over time, especially um, that, uh, you know, Dune has done well, at least well enough that they're making the second half of it. So maybe, you know, some of the people that really got into Dune will maybe say, oh, I want to search out other things by this creator. And that was, and I talked about, I talk about this in our Dune uh review i i prefer this film to dune i mean they're not you know they're very different in a lot of ways but watching this again it it makes me a little sad thinking oh because i i, I think the plan was for this to be a trilogy a new trilogy of blade runner movies and i wish that that had worked out that that he had could have gotten to do another film or another couple because i just think this you know they've, they've done some animated things and there is a um a live action series that is in the works with um uh ridley scott is producing it um and so this is a a universe or a world that you know i think you can you can explore in a lot of ways without 
what we're seeing with so many movies now where it's like, oh, we're going to, you know, here's this one-off thing that's been made and we're going to do a prequel and a sequel and a, you know, this to the side and all that. And I think this, for me, this universe very much lends itself to, there's a lot of things that you can explore with this. Oh yeah. So, um, well, did you, so, ever, yeah. did you ever see the expanse of the TV show? We've talked about that a little bit. I've, I've, I watched a, an episode or two, but I haven't, um, I haven't seen the whole thing. I only mention it because it's a series. The season one starts on Earth, but it clearly talks about uh, there's Mars as its own society, and then the asteroid belt as its own society, and there's politics. But season one really takes place as a de detective story as well uh, on Earth, and then it, then the series as it goes expands out into these other settings, including the depths of open space and and and. You know, when you say, I think there's a lot to explore in the universe of Blade Runner, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm -hmm. You know, in this film, they reference being on nine other worlds and they keep talking about going off world and off world. I mean, you've got nine other worlds right there. Not to mention, we've only stayed in Los Angeles. In, in this one, we managed to get out to, uh, you know, to Las Vegas. There's a whole yeah. planet to explore and it, it, everything is so detailed and rich. It seems like you could do almost any number of stories. It's like the, you know, they, they've kept and, and they've worked on me to various degrees, but you know, how many Terminator movies did they make five or six? Right. And it's just kind of like, eh, it seems like we're beating a dead horse. You know, they, there's not enough that it seems at least the, the, the routes that they're going, that they've gone with it. And it seems like that's maybe at least dead for a while until they, you know, they come back to it. But that just seemed very forced. Whereas Blade Runner to me feels like you can do a lot with it and it, you know, wouldn't be as, as difficult. I mean, he made the two movies, you know what I mean? He made Terminator, which was a truly small budget film. Mm-hmm. And I think as a horror film, as a sci-fi horror film, slam dunk, you know, worked on that budget, worked about as well as you could possibly make it happen. And they said, look, we want to throw a ton of money at you to make a sequel. And he did every trick in the book. And you know, now we take the bad guy, we bring him back, we make him the good guy somehow. And we bring in a kind of a new bad guy. And I, and then he stopped. And then he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good at two, right? He didn't make three, four, right? That wasn't. So I, I think he reached elbow deep into his magic hat to make the second one the same way that he, he did with a sequel to Alien, that he was like, okay, we're going to make it a different kind of film. This one's an action adventure film. There's elements of horror to it, but, but the first one was a horror sci-fi film. This is an action sci-fi film um and he got away with it and then the three four five are just this is another action sci-fi film like yeah we haven't we've seen it really we've seen this movie it's not a different movie um i always thought it was funny with the terminator films because i i think with i could be wrong with this but i, I know at least with some that he did this maybe with all of them but they would come out and he wouldn't have any involvement cameron wouldn't have any involvement with them at all but I'm sure he was getting money from it because it was his creation or whatever. I would hope so. so. Yeah. Each, each one would come out and, you know, 
he would be asked about it before it came out and be like, oh, this one's really good. You know, they fixed a lot of things and everything. And then it would suck. And then the fans would be mad because they would be like, James Cameron Light. It was kind of, it, it, yeah. it always felt a lot like uh, Carpenter with the Halloween movies. Each Halloween movie would come out and Carpenter would be like, oh yeah, this one's going to be good. And then it would be terrible. Yeah. And the fans would be mad not knowing it's just like, hey, they're getting money from this. So it's in their best interest for this. They're not going to come out and be like, or or even just respect to people in the profession, you know, that they're not going to come out and just be like, hey, this is a real piece of garbage. Don't go see it. You know, you know what I, mean? I always thought it was funny because the fans would always be portrayed. And then finally, this last one, I think it was, more true on his part because i think i think he was um uh with the most recent one he was actually i'm talking about carpenter here or, or uh, uh cameron here he was actually an executive producer and i think maybe it was like his story idea or something you know so he had he did have some some more involvement with it and I, i've you know like you said he probably for the most part with two felt like he'd done everything that was necessary but I kind of don't doubt if they had got, if Cameron had come back for a third, it probably would have been pretty decent. Uh, but he, you know, he'd, he'd moved on to something else, you know, by that point. So. Yeah. The third one was the woman. Was that right? Or was. Yeah. 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 That was. Did you ever seen the most recent one? Yeah. We could maybe do that some at some time. It wasn't terrible. I didn't think, uh, and I never did see the one with the, um, uh, was that Genesis, the one with the woman from the Game of Thrones? Oh, I enjoyed that one. I've never seen it. It was a kind of a reboot. It wasn't another one in the series. It was kind of a like, let's go back and look at this from another angle, if I remember correctly. I mean, obviously, I don't remember it. <laughs> it wasn't so great that I get yeah. to Detail. maybe we could do that one sometime because it being like oh it was entertaining the only one that i remember just being like aggressively bad i felt was the the one that um christian, christian bale was in that one was bad that had a lot of problems although there was some really cool robot effects in it i thought that from a sci-fi perspective i'm like that's really cool there was a great big giant robot that i thought that's cool yeah but yeah ended with like skynet or whatever had the face of helena bonham carter and was like you will never succeed because you were you know, i'm just like oh please i are having I, this, I, the robot is monologuing now <laughs> i sent you a, a a meme that i thought was funny before we recorded that was uh it just said therapist you said you were disappointed with life and how the world operates what were you expecting or what were your expectations and it's just me and it's just the shot from the opening of terminator 2 with you know one of the exoskeleton things you know they're having that opening and man that that we've gotten far flung from blade runner but that uh yeah. that opening of terminator 2 where they're the robots going around and they're crushing skulls and all that is one of the really great openings you know, in, in sci-fi, I think, but, it's, uh, um, okay. So, but our final, final word on Blade Runner is if you like sci-fi, I mean, there are definitely people that would 
find this film boring. Um, but if you're yeah. into, you know, kind of a, a mix of not just, you know, this isn't Guardians of the Galaxy or, or Star Wars. Absolutely not. This there is, is some action in it, but this is more of a somewhat cerebral. It's a detective uh, film. It's right. a detective film uh, in the style of the old noir detective films. And I think the pace is not that all far off from that either. But it is set. It's confusing because it is set in this incredibly lush, visually stunning future world. So that can be distracting. You're like, oh, flying cars. And, you know, it's like, wow, but science, it, it is science fiction, but it, it, it's fundamentally, it's a detective story and that's the pace at which it moves. Yep. It's a good one. It's a very nice movie for your face. So watch it. And let's do, I mean, do you have any, oh, Chris and Chris talk movies. It's gmail.com. That's our handle. We are on the socials. We are on the visuals. Um, if you're watching us, please like and subscribe. If you're listening to us, thanks, baby. I guess like and subscribe. Leave us a comment. Shoot us a question or a suggestion. Be nice. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Well, go ahead. What? I was just going to say, if, you, if you're going to be mean, uh, if you could back up your... We like it when people can back up uh, with facts or at least... Uh, show your work on, you know, don't just say you suck, but if you, <laughs> we've had some people, you know, say, I, I didn't like it because of this. And yeah, criticism is fine. Of course, yeah. constructive criticism is great. And we don't pretend to be experts on what we talk about. We're just two people who really love movies and have watched them a lot. We like to talk about them. Yeah. And we like to learn new stuff about things. Um, we have got a few how dare you's and I'm kind of like, I don't know, make your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oakley Oakley. Oakley Oakley. Uh great. Uh so we will. Oh, what are we doing next time? Oh, did we want to so we'd like made up a list of stuff. We had let me look at our our list here just very quickly. I know one of the ones double impact was one of the top ones there we had Oh, I what if we would do, we've talked about this some, but uh, Ninja 3, The Domination, that's that one I think where the the woman is possessed by the ninja. All right. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to twist your arm. I think it looks terrible, but would maybe, you rather do terrible and all the great, all, all kinds have of you other, I have not seen it. Have you seen Slither? No. It's Jane. Do you, are you familiar with it? Uh, a little bit because I think Elizabeth Banks is in it, right? I think so. It's a James Gunn film might be worth that might be worth doing okay let's do that that's from 2006 that's uh campy i think a little bit horror yeah it's like uh it's gun it's gotta be yeah it's like alien uh slugs people get yeah alien slugs that take over people all right we'll give that a shot for next time slither at the very least that should be something we can find yes i hope so uh it's not always the case but i think that one that was mainstream um great yeah so for next week slither watch that with us and until then we will talk to you 